Cahen is sponsored in part by Soulcraft Brewing, Salida's hometown brewery, offering a large selection of traditional and seasonal craft beers. Their spacious patio features cozy fire pit tables for outdoor warmth on chilly days. Fresh food is served daily at the Soul Shack food truck, featuring snacks like wings and pretzels, and full meals like sandwiches, burgers, and a delicious brunch on Sunday. Soulcraft is open daily for happy hour, lunch, and dinner. Cahen is supported in part by Little Red Hen Bakery, located at 302 G Street in downtown Salida. Little Red Hen specializes in hometown fresh-baked bread, bagels, and treats, all made with organic and local ingredients. A full menu, including the wood-fired oven schedule and daily specials, can be found on their Facebook page at Little Red Hen Salida. Cahen and Little Red Hen – just two hometown chickens working to keep Salida, Salida. Welcome, friends, to another edition of On the Rails with me, Forrest Whitman, right here at 106.9 on your FM dial or as a podcast. You can listen to two and a half years of these shows or on iTunes. We have some iTunes listeners as well. And some of our iTunes listeners are as far away as, uh, well, Thailand, China, and um, uh, Bavaria. So anyway, we, um, we uh, want to welcome. Well, here comes Brad. Brad, climb up in here in the caboose. If you want to sit in my K-Hen caboose, if you want to sit in the angel seat way up high, You'll get a better view. Put your feet up. Be braced, though, because when uh, our engineer is Rick White, and when he, when sometimes when he when he takes off a little fast, you feel those knuckles go bang, 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 and you know that you could be knocked over by that slack action. So be braced while you're here in the caboose. Uh, we've got a Burlington Railroad uh, official um, water cooler here, full of ice, and uh, is that Pepsi in there or beer? I don't know. That's for our lunch. And uh, we've got some, some, anyway, welcome to the caboose, Brad Svorksvelter, a real conductor, a real Amtrak conductor. This is pretty exciting. Hi, Brad. Hello, Forrest. Thanks for having me on. Oh, boy. Well, we've got a hundred questions for you today, but let's start with some, some working these days. I'm, I'm afraid oh. the connection hasn't been great, but... Uh, what was the question again, Forrest? I'm sorry. Are, are you, you're still on the California Zephyr. Absolutely, yes. Denver to Grand Junction, the, the most scenic part of any train ride anywhere in the world. All right. Yeah. We just had a woman on here who rode with you and said that, that you were very good. You were better than the Cog Railway. The Cog Railway, <laughs> their, their PA went out. And so the, their car attendant wouldn't say anything. But I'm sure when your PA goes out, you still just stand there and point out some, some things with the old-fashioned way, with, without a PA. Uh, I do some of that in, the, in our lounge car, for sure. Yeah, you know, and I'll tell you why. It's because people want to know where they're at in life. And a lot of times, all they need is somebody to let them know. <laughs> Okay, that's super. 
That really is super. Well, anyway, yeah, so she gave you high marks for that. And um, I remember one one story you told one time. I remember we went, we were in uh, Colorado somewhere, and we passed the site of an old POW prison camp. Yes. We're doing World War II. Yeah. And now, where was that site exactly? Uh, that was just a little bit west of Kremlin, Colorado, on the north side of the tracks. And believe it or not, the lady that owns that ranch today was on the train yesterday going oh. eastbound with her Girl Scout troop going from Glenwood to Granby. And we wow. had a great chat. And in fact, the Union Pacific was doing rockfall mitigation in Gore Canyon. Oh. Um, can I tell you quick how they do it? No, we've got plenty of time. It's a railroad show. They send a fellow up on a helicopter dangling from a wire. And he's Whoa. dangling from about a 50-foot wire. And he gets to a place where there's a rock that's suspect. And he puts this heavy-duty balloon between the rock and the face of the mountain. And then they fill that, that balloon with air to knock that rock off when they know that there's no train coming and they've got uh, track and time protection on the rail below. The rock goes falling down into the water harmlessly, and then the fellow flies on back, still dangling from the wire. It is quite a show. Wow. My gosh. Now, so was, was her Girl Scout troop able to see some of that? or? Yes. The helicopter went right by us with the fellow hangle, uh, dangling. Dangling up there. Dangling up there. Wow. It, and the helicopter is a heavy-duty uh, chopper. It looks to be the civilian version of a Blackhawk. Oh, my gosh. Well, so the Union Pacific is putting plenty of money into that. Well, and they need to because uh, isn't there a lease on the Moffat Tunnel? That's up pretty quick here. Yes, but of course, it'll be renewed. There's, there's no worry that rail traffic will be interrupted by a failure of completing the lease. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can I ask yeah, a question? Yes. Now, wait, that question's coming from the head end of this train. We're back here in the caboose enjoying ourselves putting ice cubes in and everything. But that's from Rick White, our engineer. He's Thank up in the front. It. So we, we hear from him from time to time. And so, Brad, after they loose this big rock, and does it hit the tracks? Does it cross the tracks? Uh, it could. It um, could. But, uh, of course, they try to do it in a way that it'll, it'll uh, not cause any damage. But it's a whole lot better to cause damage on empty track than on passenger trains. <laughs> yeah, okay, I get that. Very, very good. Thank you. It was the first time I'd ever seen that in operation yesterday. Uh -huh. So it was it was really something. I was glad to see it. Yeah, neat. A new a new Ooh, thing cool. for train fans to put on their list to experience. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How do they pump the balloon full? Um. Well, I think the guy's got really powerful lungs, and he just. Whew, <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, obviously, it's connected to a compressor that must be up on the helicopter. On the helicopter, yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, all right. Well, now, by the way, Dixie, who we, as I say, interviewed for this show. Now, she found um, the food in the snack car fairly acceptable. She said it wasn't wasn't that, that I mean, she's everybody's hoping for dining cars. But she said, no, it wasn't that. Of course, she carries a lot. She carries um, a big sack full of 
I don't know, carrot sticks and things like that. So too, to, to supplement it, but have, have you, you've tried that food, I'm sure. Of course. Yes. And, and, and it isn't bad. Um, it's not great, but it's fine. Um, yeah. But uh, there, there are some truly exciting things coming down the pike on the hospitality side of Amtrak's business in the Western long distance trains, California is ever chief among them. Um, things that are definitely going to happen is that our dining car is going to go back to being um, uh, meals that are prepared in the kitchen rather than simply reheated TV dinners, uh, which is what we had to do during COVID in order to maintain uh, social distancing and uh, the, the company felt as if that was the safest way to ensure that we didn't uh, advance the pandemic through train food service. Uh, we're now getting beyond that and we're going to go back to real chefs preparing real food in the diner and then serving it. And rather than being on paper plates or plastic, as we have been for the last several years, we're going to put real china on the train and then actually wash the dishes downstairs and wow. reuse them to greatly decrease the amount of waste, uh, improve the quality of service uh, at a degree of elegance back to the dining car. Uh, we're going to have real linen tablecloths. It should be, the dining car should be a great improvement. Wow. The snack bar will still be fairly similar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really exciting. I think well, it is. I, and that should be rolling out at the end of the month. And I believe the California Zephyr will be the first train back into full dining service. Wow. End of July, you say? No, end of June. Oh, end of June. That's this. We're in. This is June. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we're excited about that. We've got some new locomotives coming on. The uh, Siemens locomotives are, are, are finally starting to arrive. The first one, number 300, was on the third point on the Zephyr two days ago. And wow. it's a beautiful paint scheme to, designed by my friend, Matt Donnelly uh, in our marketing department. And that uh, is going to increase our fuel efficiency by 10% and increase our acceleration rate by 30%. So we're making major upgrades on the mechanical reliability and functionality and environmental consciousness of our, of our motive power. And we've got 75 of those locomotives that'll be coming online over the next couple of years. Wow, that is very exciting. And tell me- 75, wow, that's exciting. We need 150 to replace the entire P-42 fleet. We're not getting that many, but we're getting a good start and we'll be able to put these guys on point. And that'll that'll greatly improve our fuel efficiency. And are, oh, these, boy. are, are these diesel powered, Brad? Yes, they are. I see, interesting. Now, uh, uh, just, just to make sure you understand what I feel, uh, I think that the future is going to be plug-in, battery electric, locomotive-less passenger trains. Wow. But we're not quite there yet. Not so, yet. And the P-42s are finished. They are at the end of life cycle and they have to be replaced. So this is, in my opinion, the last iteration of the diesel passenger train in the world. And, really? And because I believe that we don't have to, now that battery technology has gotten so good 
and computerization of tractive motive power has gotten so precise. We won't need locomotives. We'll simply have battery plaques in the floorboards of train cars and one tractive axle on each train car itself, and they'll all multi-unit together so that the locomotive engineer from a control apartment at either end of the train will be able to run a completely emissions-free train over long distances. And then at stations like Denver, a pantograph will rise up and recharge those batteries right at the depot for 40 or 50 minutes, just like you would with your Tesla, which I believe you drive, don't you? I do. I have a Tesla. A yes, couple I, of them. I assumed you did. Yeah. And, and it'll be like a supercharger at the stations. And then the regenerative braking will also add a great amount of, of uh, power back into the system rather than what we do today, which is simply light up resistive rheostats and then blow the energy out the smokestack of the train, uh, the locomotive. Yeah. So that I believe is what we will see going up into the 2030s for the 2020s. We're going to have to try and hang on with what we've got and the new charger locomotives. Hmm. Wow. Now what's the, all right, let's back up a little bit and say, what do the new chargers look like? Do they have the traditional Amtrak, um, colors or well it, it's a little bit darker color it's a, a dark navy blue with uh what resembles the old pointless arrow of amtrak in the front and it makes the whole locomotive appear to be moving even when it's standing still it's truly <laughs> a brilliant paint scheme wow and i look forward to that well, and it went right below my house a couple of days ago when it went by. And there were train fans all over Blue Mountain and the Big Ten curves and down into Denver just enjoying it. And if people would like to see a picture, uh, there's a Facebook page called Friends of the California Zephyr, where a lot of those photographs were posted. Oh, boy. So, and of course, the Big Ten, those are amazing curves, I'll tell you all the way up to Coal Creek Canyon, well, and beyond. Yeah, no, the, the curves are amazing. Marilyn Monroe's curves might have been better, but only a little. <laughs> might have been better, but not as scenic. Well, but, but speaking back to electric motive, uh, now, it used to be, of course, that the old South Shoreline in uh, northern Indiana and Illinois and so on, they uh, used batteries. I wonder... I'm sure we've come a long way since then in sure. batteries. The, the lithium ion technology will be able to make the train that I just described go at least 500 miles per charge. Wow. And um, have backup to be able to maintain air conditioning and other hotel power for uh, probably 48 hours should a train wow. be disabled. And then, of course, it can always be regenerated simply by having a generator truck come up if we got into a real jam. So range anxiety is really going to be no different than is if we were running diesel. But here's the problem, uh, Forrest. The automotive and trucking industries are rapidly transitioning to electric uh, motors. The, uh, it's not just Tesla. It's, it's Volvo, it's Kenworth, it's Peterbilt, it's Mac. They're all investing into electric technology and moving away from the internal combustion engine. 
Nobody is putting in research and develop money to make a better diesel engine anymore. What's going to happen as that transition takes place over the next decade is that the customers left for diesel fuel will have to pick up an increasingly large percentage of the fuel supply chain as more and more customers leave the need for that fuel behind. As a result, uh, if Amtrak is absolutely stuck with nothing but the diesel fleet for long distance trains, the cost of their fuel will go up exponentially as it leaves the realm of being the common fuel that we all use and suddenly becomes a boutique fuel that only a very small number of customers use. So even if there's plenty of petroleum left in the ground, the cost of giving it from ground through refinery to the delivery point and into the tank of the locomotive will be so high that it would threaten the survival of the long distance train in America if we don't begin talking about transitioning to battery electric plug-in now. The thing is, we're never going to put catenary wire over these long distance rail lines. So it has to be something where we can take the power with us through batteries. Wow. Yes, and you uh, you have talked about this uh, before, and uh, I think it was you that mentioned that the Union Pacific and maybe the, maybe, I don't know, maybe BNSF does have some yards in California that where they use the battery packs uh, yes. even now. Yeah, and that, that's coming on. Uh, the Canadian Pacific is very active as well. Uh, um, and General Motors and Wabco, Wabtech, just announced a, a joint venture two or three days ago to do exactly that, put together the battery electric plug-in locomotive for freight. Here's the exciting thing about passenger trains. Passenger trains can do this without locomotives. And you can eliminate, like the Zephyr right now has 300 tons of deadweight locomotives that do two things, make the train go and provide power for the passengers, creature comforts. If we eliminate those 300 tons, just that decreases the energy demand by more than 30%. That's so exciting. And now these yards, okay, say the Union Pacific has a yard in I don't know. They must have a, several big ones around San Francisco area. Uh, yeah. And um, now, uh, what do they do? Do they, do they is it like your train set when you were a kid, do they plug them in overnight and, and build up the batteries in them? Is that what sure. they do? Or? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, with supercharging technology and lithium-ion batteries, you can take a completely dead uh vehicle and put it right back up to hundred percent in one hour. Ah, wow. Um, in, in my car, uh, I, I took a road trip from Golden, Colorado down to Boca Chica, Texas, the very Southern tip of Texas with no problem whatsoever, going about 300 miles per charge, recharging in about 40 minutes, which was just enough time to grab a bite to eat, maybe use the restroom. Yeah, all those things. For a few minutes and relax. It was the most pleasant road trip you can imagine because there was no need to get in a hurry once you got to the station. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, 
And also, obviously, the, the pollution requirements in California are probably much stricter than any place else in the nation. It, of course. It typically is. And, and at this point, politically, everybody is moving towards zero emissions by 2050. No. Well, yeah. train cars last for 40 years. If we're going to buy train cars and we're not even going to take delivery until the late 2020s, are we only going to get 20 years out of them? Where if we go with the concept that we need to do the research and development now to be able to be able to be able to manufacture the battery electric plug-in train so that it's functional by 2030, so that it can last till 2070. We need to we need to move now. We need to think about what's what's going to be happening in the future. And the good news is that there's almost nobody who disagrees. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, almost so, nobody. Well, if you unless you get into the political sites and they're I don't even want to go there, but there, there certainly is is disagreement there, let's just say. Well, of course there is. But but think of it this way, Forrest. If the United States were to lead the way in creating the battery plug-in electric passenger train. It would start with our long distance trains and we would that would be like the Model L, the, the long distance train. But then we could also apply that to some freight services where a grain car would have a powered axle on it. And then a hundred grain cars with powered axles could like line up together rather than having these huge heavy locomotives trying to pull a bunch of them. And, and, and then you could transfer it to high velocity trains. And suddenly you could have high speed trains where no overhead cantonary wire is required. And that's the most expensive part of maintaining, for example, our own Northeast corridor between Washington and Boston. If we can get rid of the overhead cantonary wire cost, while maintaining the speed, acceleration, and all the beautiful things about high-speed rail, suddenly the United States is no longer trying to buy Siemens locomotives from Germany that we assemble and pretend are American in Sacramento. Suddenly, the world is coming to us and buying our trains for their high-speed lines because ours are that much more efficient and capable. And that's what we're capable of doing. And it sounds far-fetched. But can you imagine 10 years ago that the greatest export in America would be electric automobiles? (laughs) Things are are changing. But it is. It's true and it's a reality. And the most popular automobile in Norway is an American car. If we can do it with automobiles, we can do it with trains. Yeah. Oh, yes. And, and, uh, well, the the coming of the uh, the electric engine... It's, it's really, really exciting. And what we under, well, we understand that we're, we are, that we do have some planners at the USDOT right now, which is led by um, the former mayor of South Bend, Indiana. And he is a techno freak. This guy just loves all this stuff. And he's really, really looking forward to the coming of the electric engine. And um, we should be able to think of his name right now. It's an Pete unusual Buttigieg. name, isn't it? 
Yeah, Pete Buttigieg, Mayor Pete. Buttigieg. Buttigieg? Buttigieg. I don't yeah. know. And he's Peter... a techno he's yes. He's a techno freak. He we, loves this stuff. Um, and so I, I was having a great conversation with one of our vice presidents, a guy named Roger Harris at Amtrak. And we talked about these exact issues. And of course, it will be the United States Department of Transportation that is going to have to be the funding agency as we move forward. And so Secretary Pete Buttigieg is going to be an absolutely key player as we transition from the carbon belching locomotive pulling boxes on wheels, which is a mean way to call the American train today, and turn it in to a sleek battery electric renewable energy system that can transport into the future without trouble and indefinitely. Wow, that's exciting. Uh oh, we're we back in the caboose are getting a signal from the from the head end. Back in my railroad days, you know how they did that? They joggle the air switch. So they'd let a little few pounds of air out. And so you'd say, uh oh. He wants us to do something. So we know something is, you probably, that, by the time you went to work for railroads, Brad, probably those days were over, or at least you had good handheld device. My third trip was on a caboose, and I've never been on one since. Oh, <laughs> well, we're on the caboose here every week on the on the Cahen caboose. I was in <laughs> Gillette, Wyoming, running a work train, putting in the third rail on Logan Hill. I'll be darned. And that's going to be quite a change for the railroads because they're not going to be hauling nearly as much coal if, if, if what I read is, is true. Yep. Although Wyoming apparently is still, still betting on coal. So we'll see how that works out for them. I, I think, well, we, we don't want to get too political, but I think that's the wrong way to go, but they seem to think so. They, seem to think they'll keep exporting coal. So, and I suppose if they want to export it, the Union Pacific will haul it. Uh, until we can get our renewables and our energy storage up to snuff, we're going to need a lot of natural gas and still some coal. Yeah. Uh, the railroads are going to haul coal into, but nobody's building new coal power. Nobody's building new coal cars. Wow. We, we wow. are now simply running on the legacy of that energy source rather wow. than the future of powering America. Now we're really getting the signal from the head end. Okay, yeah. we're going to have to wrap up this segment of On the Rails with me, your host, Forrest Whitman. Fascinating, well, really exciting interview with, uh, with Brad uh, Schwarzfelter here, an Amtrak conductor. So we, as before we pull out, we always give a highball. So let's uh, look out over the angel seat, look out the back caboose, Wake up any hobos that are sleeping back there. And on the count of three, give us a big highball. All right. One, two, three. Highball. Highball. Cahan is supported in part by Hilltop Broadband. Hilltop Broadband for residential and business wireless internet service. Servicing Salida and Poncha Springs in Chaffee County, as well as areas in Fremont County, Custer County, and more. 
to experience the Hilltop difference and request new customer information, email info at hilltop-broadband.com or call toll-free 877-783-2889.